Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. The following podcast contains explicit language. Okay. Ready? Oh, God. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Left, right. Left. Body, hook, knee, Left. elbow. Good. Hello and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. By the way, that was me kickboxing, which will make more sense later in the show. And with me is my writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Kraft, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, being friends and business partners, and how to fight and win the war of attrition that is life in L.A. Happier in Hollywood is all about how to survive and thrive no matter where you are or what you do. In this episode, we'll ask, what's your story? We'll also talk about why it's good to suck at something and debate whether or not I should color my stunning salt and pepper hair. Okay, Sarah, it's time for a segment we call From the Treadmill Desks Of, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyche. Now, this week, I did something that we are frequently asked to do. Mm -hmm. I sat down with a young woman who wants to be a television writer and was just looking for advice. Um, She was only 25, so very green. And I gave her all the meeting advice that we talked about last week in episode three, if anyone wants to hear that. Then I asked her one very important question. What's your story? And spoiler alert, she did not have one. Oh, that's not good. (laughs) Thank goodness she came to me. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, So when you're starting out in Hollywood, it's important to have a story and hone it and tell it in a way that makes you interesting and relatable. Now, the reason you need a story is that you're constantly going around and trying to get people to pay attention to you and to your work. And the people you're meeting with whether they're showrunners or executives or a bartender or a friend of a friend who could hook you up with a bartender or an executive (laughs) or a showrunner, they're usually meeting dozens, if not hundreds of people, and you have to stand out. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like branding. You know, everything today is about branding, like whether you're my niece on the Upper East Side or some 80-year-old grandma on Facebook, you're crafting the way you present yourself to the world. And I mean, let's face it, Hollywood is ground zero for having a brand. Yeah. But it's really kind of necessary everywhere, it seems like. So what's your brand? Who are you and what's your story? And most importantly, how is it authentic and specific to you? 
Yes. Now, we have a couple examples of stories we've heard that were very effective and very memorable. I think our favorite is always going to be, I was a burlesque dancer who lived at the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. Like, that is rich. (laughs) That stands out. (laughs) She's been working a long time on that story. Exactly. And then there's, my mother was a Romanian doctor who smuggled me out of the country under threat of military action when I was nine months old. Yeah. You're going to stand out with that one, too. Also excellent. Um, Now, most of us aren't going to have that good of a story, but whatever your story is, think about how to highlight what is most interesting about you. So for us, we get a lot of traction from being high school friends. Yes. When we go to meetings and someone says, oh, hey, how did you guys become partners? We sort of automatically fall into our spiel. Um, we, I think we may even mentioned it on the podcast that we have the spiel we go into. And I'm thinking, Sarah, maybe we should do our spiel now as we have hundreds of times over the last 17 years. <laughs> so everyone gets a sense of what we're talking about. Of our spiel. All right. Yes, I think that's a good idea. Um, okay. I'll be the person we we are meeting with to start out with. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, we'll have to, like, interject our questions to ourselves. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So usually that person says, so how did you two become a team? And we say, actually, we went to high school together. Oh, really? Where? Oh, in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, we actually ran our high school newspaper together. Um, And then, you know, we separated for college. I went to Columbia. Sarah went to Williams. And then I stayed in New York and ended up being the editor of Sweet Valley High while Sarah did Teach for America. And usually there's an interjection there about Sweet Valley High because everyone knows Sweet Valley High (laughs) and loves Sweet Valley High. And then Sarah goes into... After grad school in North Carolina, I was moving cross-country to Los Angeles. I had my, like, giant moving truck full of stuff and my dog. And I stopped in Kansas City over the holidays, and Liz was in town from New York. And we went out for beers. And we always—this is exactly what we say every time. And literally, beer one, Liz, who had just met a guy in L.A. also, um, Liz was like, I'm going to come visit you probably, you know, for like a while, for like three weeks. And beer three, she was moving to L.A. Yeah. So I stayed up all night and like thinking, am I going to move to L.A. from New York? And I went downstairs at like 630 in the morning, unusual for me. And I said to my parents, like, I'm going to move to L.A. with Sarah. And I did. Six weeks later, we moved into a beach house in Santa Monica that we were able to get because it was El Nino and nobody else was out looking for uh, places to rent. So we got to uh, snag a beach house. What I love about this story is like as we're talking about it, I'm still, again, we've told it like 100 times, maybe probably 500 times. It's still exciting to me. Yes, it was a great time in our lives. Yeah, it really was. It was amazing, and it's fun to talk about it, which is why it works over and over and over again in meetings. Authentic. It's yes. what actually happened. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so we moved to L.A., and we were super lucky because we had one friend from high school who lived here, and he happened to be an agent. At the time, he was Christopher Nolan's agent. He's not in the business exactly anymore. And he just, like, sort of handed our stuff to his office mate, and then we had an agent. We were so green. We really knew nothing. Um, And so it took us a long time to sort of get our act together. But eventually, we wrote a script, a spec script, which is when you write a sample of a show that's already on the air, for a show called Oz, which was the prison show, very dark show. And our thinking was, well, nobody wants to read us, but if we can find somebody out there who actually loves Oz, nobody else is writing Oz specs, so they'll pick this out of the pile. And sure enough, 
Someone who worked for Kevin Williamson knew he loved Oz, so they got him to read our Oz spec. And in case anyone doesn't know, Kevin Williamson wrote Scream. He created Dawson's Creek. He created Vampire Diaries. You know, he's the list goes on. Um, he read our aspects. He loved it. And he gave us our first primetime job on a very short-lived show called Glory Days <laughs> on what was then the WB. Um, and we have thankfully been working ever since. So that is our story. And it's very specific to us. Think about what your story is. Is there an anecdote that sums you up? What makes you unique? What key details can people grab onto? Are you a military brat who lived 15 places before you graduated from high school? Or did you spend six months in bed as a child with some kind of illness? Did you take on your college administration? Did you not go to college? Are you a Gen Xer stuck in a millennial's body? If you're just so boring that really nothing has (laughs) happened to you, lean into that. Say you're so painfully boring that writing is how you handle your boring life. But the odds are there's something about you that's special or weird or notable. So I have to say, to the young woman I met with, you know who you are, and I'm expecting you to get your story together. And if we meet again, I will have you present your story. Hopefully she's listening. I'm sure she is. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) And to our listeners, what's your story? Share it with us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. And we will critique one listener's story in a future episode. So now, Liz, it's time for our new segment, Take a Hike, in which we discuss mental, physical, and because this is L.A., spiritual health, probably in a fairly woo-woo way. This week, our focus is mental health. So, Sarah, you read an article in The New York Times that really struck a chord with you. You've been putting it on Facebook and commenting (laughs) repeatedly. And made you read it. Yes. Um, Yeah, so I read this article called It's Great to Suck at Something by Karen Rinaldi, and it's all about how this woman, Karen, sucks at surfing, but that's okay with her. Like, she has almost, like, structured her whole life around taking surfing trips and going surfing, and she's terrible at it, but somehow that's okay. And she realizes that, like, she gets more out of sucking at surfing than she would if she were actually improving at it. The whole article is filled with gold, and everyone should read it. We'll actually link to the article in the episode four show notes on our website, happierinhollywood.com, should anyone want to read it, which they should. Which they should. Please do. So what really rang true for me, you know, so much of our lives are consumed with the idea of perfection. And if not perfection, at least like improving and getting better all the time. You know, whether it's like writing a script, rewriting to get it closer and closer and closer to, there's never perfection in writing, but, you know, close. Um, Or like eating perfectly healthy or sculpting your body into some perfect specimen. Everything is always about getting better. And this article totally flies in the face of that. So I want to read this one paragraph that I think is just beautiful. Again, she's talking about surfing. When I do catch a wave and feel the glide, I'll hold on to that feeling for hours, days, or even weeks. I'm hooked on the pursuit of those moments, however elusive they may be. But it's not the potential high that has sustained me. In the process of trying to attain a few moments of bliss, I experience something else. Patience and humility, definitely, but also freedom. Freedom to pursue the futile. And the freedom to suck without caring is revelatory. I love that. The freedom to suck without caring is revelatory. Um, Liz, (laughs) what do you suck at? (laughs) Well, I was singing. I suck at a lot. Um, (laughs) But the thing that comes to mind is yoga. 
So I go through periods where I do yoga, uh-huh. and I have never been in a yoga class where I was not the worst person. And it doesn't <laughs> matter if I'm doing yoga in Kansas City, in New York, in L.A. I could be in Omaha, Nebraska. Go in our to, office? Yeah, in our office. I'm always <laughs> the worst. Yeah, the th- it could be three of us doing it. I'm always the worst. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know what it is, but I just... I seem not to be able to improve at yoga, or if so, it's marginal. And, like, I'm the person the teacher always kind of gives a special look to, like, encouraging. You got this. Yeah. I've never been able to, like, do the thing where you do a headstand. Oh, God. Um, I can't do that either. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better. (laughs) But when I do it, what I love is I just totally embrace that I'm the worst person. I've just decided a long time ago if I'm going to do this, I have to just go— it doesn't matter that I'm the worst person. Nobody cares. No one's really even looking at me. Or if they are, they're just probably feeling benign pity. It's not <laughs> like they're like, why is she here attempting a warrior pose? I do like the humility. Like, it's okay that I'm bad. And it's okay to look bad. It's just a good reminder. Right. Yeah. What about you? What do you suck at? Um. Well, my favorite thing to suck at of the many things is kickboxing. And I don't think you like super love doing yoga. Yeah, No, it's not like the surfing. I don't love it. Yeah. But and I do love kickboxing. I really love it. I am never going to be good at it. Like my goal is not to be like an MMA fighter, obviously. (laughs) But, you know, my goal isn't even to just land perfect kicks all the time. There's just something incredibly satisfying with kickboxing to me of like the sound of a punch landing or just remembering a combination. Yeah. <laughs> like every now and then I'll remember I'll remember a combination without actually saying the different uh-huh. things out loud, you know, jab, hook. And like I love that feeling or like, you know, landing a good like there's like the spinning kick thing. I like most of the time I'm about to fall over, but like one time I might land it and I do love that feeling. Every now and then I I get that just like glimpse of what she's talking about with feeling the glide. Uh, yeah, I, I think you will be an MMA fighter someday. Oh, for I'm, sure. I'm putting that on. Yeah, I'm I'll put, put it on my goal on list. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Sarah, the other thing I love about this notion, because we're both moms, and I think with kids, this idea about perseverance and keeping on doing something, even if you're not good at it, is important. Um, she had this paragraph that really struck a chord with me. She says, There will always be another chance, and after that, another. Trust me. Be patient. Waves come. Waves always come. And I think that's a great lesson. Like, just keep trying. Yeah. Don't give up. Keep trying. The wave will come. Yes. I think that is incredibly profound and so true. Waves always come. I mean, our profession— Oh, God, the waves We've come got every waves, 15 seconds. Yeah, we yeah, got smash. wave after yeah. wave after wave. <laughs> and sometimes we ride them, and sometimes they crash over our heads. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you suck at? We will Instagram, humiliatingly, we will Instagram pictures <laughs> of ourselves doing yoga and kickboxing. I'm at S. Fain. Liz is at Liz Craft. And you Instagram a picture of yourself doing something you suck at. Next, we'll discuss the surprisingly emotional topic of whether or not Sarah should dye her hair. But first, a word from our sponsor. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like calorie smart, protein plus, and keto. Factor's 
fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Moving on to a segment we call LVS, Liz versus Sarah. In this segment, we discuss slash debate something we might not see eye to eye on. And today we are talking about whether or not Sarah should dye her hair. Oh, God. So first, I should explain your hair. It's, was, you had almost black hair growing up, and now it's salt and pepper. So the question is, should you sort of dye it back to a dark brunette and it's beautiful, shiny hair that you have? Or should you stay as it is, which is salt and pepper leaning now toward salt? salt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so my hair has been sort of trending toward silver. I say silver because I prefer it to gray. Since I was like 19. So I did dye it for a really long time. I mean, you know, at least a decade probably. And then when we were on Dollhouse, I just decided I was done. Like it seemed like a very safe environment to just be coming in like with, you know, roots and be like, hey guys. <laughs> um, so I stopped coloring it. Um, it was just sort of this onerous thing, like uh, because my hair grows really fast, like I do have good, healthy hair, so it grows really mm -hmm. fast. I constantly had to dye it. I felt like I was either like worried about my roots or in the hair salon like all the time. And I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Um, so I stopped. Now, in Hollywood and I mean, probably uh, in a lot of places in the United yeah. States, having graying hair is a real statement. I mean, it's not like it goes unremarked upon. People actually no. say things to you about it. All the time. Yes. Just this week, we were having lunch with our friend. She, she walked in. She goes, your hair's so great. It's time to dye it. Yeah. <laughs> She's very, very opinionated. But honestly, more often than not, I, got, I get positive comments about it. You know, people constantly... Um, like randomly come up to me and say, I love your hair. Your hair is so pretty. You know, like it's something that people notice. Yeah, we um, were working with Andy McDowell. She yeah. loved it. Yes, she did. Um, our agent's wife does not love it. We were at a wedding with her and she was very, very, very opinionated about the fact that I should color it immediately. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I get that. I totally get it. Sometimes I think you think I should dye my hair. Well, you know, here's why I do sort of think you should dye your hair. 
partly for me, you have Violet, who in about a year will be going into kindergarten. And I know I'm very self-conscious with Jack of being one of the older moms. And I sometimes feel like it separates me Uh from younger moms. Right. And so I do, in that sense, feel like if you dyed your hair, I mean, you would look, I think, like 10 years younger if you dyed your hair. I mean, you have such a youthful face. Then I would fit right in with the, let's say, 20-year-old moms. That's right. With the 35-year-old moms. (laughs) Not that you can't make friends with salt and pepper hair. (laughs) Obviously, you can. It's more that, like, it's a signifier of being older. But that's just me. I mean, I feel maybe you don't feel self-conscious about being an older mom. I mean, Hmm. I kind of do, and I kind of don't. I think in Los Angeles, there are so many older moms. True. And I think— Most of them dye their hair. Oh, they all dye their hair. I don't, I don't know anybody who doesn't. Honestly, nobody. But I don't really worry about sort of the mom aspect of it. I do think there's sort of the potential for like an otherness as, you know, right. as an older mom, for sure. But just in every way. You're an only parent, mm-hmm. which is that's its, its own, own thing. thing. Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's part of why it doesn't concern me that much. I just feel like I'm sort of in my own category a lot of the time anyway so you know i either kind of make it work or or i don't hopefully hopefully Uh i do because we're going to kindergarten not this year but the next year because i've pointed out to you another realm i mean forget the mom thing there is also the dating aspect yes i mean personally i don't think there are a lot of guys who prefer gray hair to brunette hair i mean yeah i'm sure that's true and that honestly to me that is where i get like political and irritated Uh you know we were just in um the coffee bean downstairs and there's this like super hot guy like more salt and pepper than me well he's pure gray yeah pretty much just salt and he was like super hot and it i doesn't seem right to me no there you know are other reasons i'm not super hot but like you are super hot let's just be clear on that (laughs) that like because my hair is the way it is I get judged by a different standard. I just don't think it's fair. And so, like, that's when the sort of political feminist in me is like, well, screw that. If you can't sort of see me for who I am, then, you know, then you don't deserve me. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, and that's a choice. It is, yeah. But it's like, I don't know. I just don't want you shutting things out of your life over a feminist statement that, to me, is not that important. Right. I mean, but that's me. To me, it's not important. Well, and that's why it's complicated, because that's true. And that, you know, it's not like, you know, like um, our friend Nicole, someone else (laughs) who commented about my Uh hair. We were at this dinner, and she was saying, you know, you can kind of get away with, and this is maybe toward the L.A. thing of it, and like being a working writer in L.A. and like aging in Los Angeles, that like as a woman— you can sort of get away with not dyeing your hair until your face starts to look older. Mm. At which point, then you have to color your hair. Mm. And I 100% get that. And I think it's 100% true, which is why I'm like, like, I... You'll make a feminist statement until, until it yes. no longer suits your purposes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like, I do... I used to just wear my hair in a ponytail. I can't do that. Mm. anymore because I just look sloppy if I do that Mm. you know I look like I don't care so I have to like have a good haircut I have to take really good care of my skin like I do things to kind of balance it out Mm -hmm. because it does bother me 
I think it bothers me for sure more now than it used to because I also feel like I'm, you know, there's more to deal with. And you know, I have a lot more silver in my hair than I used to, than I did five years ago. I think when it first started, it was more of a fashion statement. Yeah. And now it's more of a fact. It's a statement. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, oh, okay. Yeah. Whereas before yes. it was it was more dramatic because there was more contrast. Right. And so yeah. it was a little, it was like bold. Right. Know. Yeah. It is a complicated issue. We talk about it on an almost daily basis. Yes. <laughs> It's really complicated. And I think for me right now, what it boils down to is would it make me more happy or less happy to color my hair? And at this point, it still feels like it would make me less happy. I'm sticking with my, as Violet calls it, salt in the front, pepper in the back (laughs) hair. (laughs) Um, Though I reserve the right to change my mind at any time. (laughs) And by the way, in case you're wondering if it's a burning question, I'm never going to let myself go gray. (laughs) You'll just go blonde. I'll go blonde, yes. I won't get grayer. I'll get blonder. So where do you stand on the hair coloring issue? Am I destroying our career and my romantic possibilities? Am I a young silver fox? Or am I just a cool chick who's fine with being me? Email us your thoughts to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. So Liz, now it's time for our Hollywood hack. Um, Last week, our Hollywood hack, courtesy of Marsha Clark, was don't live in Hollywood. This week's Hollywood hack is the opposite. Live in Hollywood. Yes. Something we tell people all the time who are interested in doing anything in the entertainment business, writing, acting, directing, uh, advertising, whatever it may be, if you want to be in the entertainment industry, you really should move to Hollywood. Um, Now, some people think you can live in New York because there is a business in New York. Right. But I mean, that's really independent film business. I mean, if you want to do anything in television, especially or any sort of commercial film, you just got to come to L.A. because this is where everything is. Yeah. And you have to commit to being in L.A. I think a lot of times people will like write something somewhere else and think they can just like send it to someone here and then get their career going, you know, from far away and then move to L.A. already launched. And it just doesn't happen. And I mean, it maybe has happened. There are always exceptions, but like so rarely you have to be here because it's all about relationships. Yeah. And I think if you just if you don't live here, people just don't take you seriously. Like, why should they? Someone sending me a a TV pilot from Wyoming, I'm just not going to take seriously. I'm like, if you can't even move here, if you don't care enough to live in the city where most entertainment is happening, then I can want to be bothered with you because it's so hard to make it. If you don't have the commitment to even live here, then you're just not going to have the grit to make it through. Yes. And then, like, we have met people who will say, I'm in L.A. I'm going to stay for six months. If I don't sell something, I'm going to go home. That is crazy talk. If you're just planning to come for six months, don't come. Yeah. Um, I think when we moved here, the sort of prevailing wisdom was three to five years. And then we just talked to someone, Brooke, actually, our assistant, said people have to be prepared to give it 10 years. So it's really a commitment. You have to come here and really hunker down. Absolutely. I mean, and if you think about it, it's the same, you know, if you want to work in uh, politics, you move to D.C. You know, you can't rise in that world if you're sort of in a small town in Kansas. You know, it's just like you've got to go to where the action is. Yes. If you really want something, you have to be honest about what needs to be done to accomplish that thing. If it's opening a restaurant or being a race car driver or spinning yarn, that's my fantasy life. (laughs) You have to, like, 
acknowledge the reality of what that takes and be prepared to take that risk. And, um, uh, you know, I love Los Angeles, so I'm telling everyone out there, it's not that bad. Come, come join us. If it's really what you want. Yes, join us in the sun. (laughs) Okay, Sarah, before we wrap up, did we see any celebrities this week? We did. We did. We saw Jane Lynch, um, you know, the diabolical coach from Glee, who I love. Um, She was actually sitting right behind you at Kiwami, one of our favorite sushi places in L.A. You, like, sat down. I was like, Liz is, like, back to back with Jane Lynch. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot. I had no clue she was there until you told me, of (laughs) course. I, like, wrote it down on my phone and showed it to you. (laughs) Um, I didn't even, I couldn't see her at all. And I couldn't even hear, for some of the acoustics, I couldn't hear what yeah, she was loud. saying. But, you know, I'm okay with it because I saw her at Fryman Canyon like a year ago. So I've had my Jane Lynch sighting. Oh, good. Well, so I want to tell you that since you couldn't hear her, I will tell you that she actually did use our Hollywood hack from episode one. The say fuck in a meeting hack? Yes, yes. She was having a lunch meeting and I could barely hear her either, but I did hear her say to, you know, who, whoever her lunch meeting people were, she definitely used fuck in the meeting. So go Jane Lynch. Go Jane. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. What's your story? Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail question at 949-HAPPY-21. And don't forget to Instagram a picture of yourself sucking at something with the hashtag Happier in Hollywood. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai, and thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thanks also to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Elizabeth Craft, and Sarah is at Sarah M. Fain. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. I really have to Instagram a picture of myself kickboxing. You said you would. Oh, my God.